Hi, this is Brendan, and thanks for listening to The Collect Call. Holly and I recorded this episode uh, about two weeks ago, before the massacre at Pulse Nightclub in Orlando. And I guess I don't know what it is about Proper 7, but it's a collect that I don't think I'll ever forget, because among the phrases in the prayer, it says, O Lord, you never fail to help and govern those whom you have set upon the sure foundation of your loving kindness. Last year, this collect was said on the Sunday following the murder of nine people in a Bible study at Emmanuel Church. And this year, it's after another mass murder that feels like a punch in the gut. What does that mean, that God never fails to help and govern those set on the sure foundation of his loving kindness? I've been repeating that question to myself as I've prepared to edit the show this past few days. And I don't know that I have any answer, just a couple of thoughts. God gave us, for better or worse, free will. We're not chess pieces in some big game that God is playing. So when we say that God governs those set on the sure foundation of his loving kindness, we're not saying, I don't think, that God is controlling our every action. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and all that lives upon the earth, and he called it good. And then six chapters into Genesis, we see God regretting having made man on the earth. But we know that the Bible is a lot more than six chapters long. And the remainder of the story is not the story of God's destruction or control of creation, but of God's love in spite of regret. It's free will that allows us to create beautiful things, great art, architecture, friendships, families, communities, songs. But free will also means having destructive impulses, war, murder, terrorism, abuse. I can't pretend to know where God is in all that. But I do know that in our sufferings, 
God has joined us. Jesus Christ, God's own Son, died. What does it mean to help and govern? I don't know, but I do wonder if in some of the stories in Orlando we don't see God strengthening people in their final moments to be their best selves. A son reaching out in fear to tell his mother that he loves her. A friend who escaped from the club going back to rescue a friend and dying herself. I don't know much about these people. I know that they are much more than their final moments. But I wonder about the grace God gave them. Where is God in all this? Well, Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine to keep a party going. So, I think about him in the club. Where is God in all this? When did we ever see Jesus run away? He's dead on the floor. And where is God in all this, the living God? I think of the lines of people around blocks waiting to give their own blood away. These are not words of comfort or explanation. Everything doesn't happen for a reason. But while we have time, we do have free will. And while we can't choose everything, our circumstances, the randomness of life, who we love. We can, as friend of the show Regina Heater put it in a Facebook post, we can choose to love, you know. Choose love. <laughs> to the Collect Call. This podcast is an offering of the Acts 8 movement, proclaiming resurrection in the Episcopal Church. I'm Holly Powell, and I'm a layperson and a member of Christ Church Cathedral in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Brendan O'Sullivan-Hale, and I am also a layperson, and I'm a member of the Episcopal Church of All Saints in Indianapolis, Indiana. This podcast is about the intersection of liturgy and life, as seen through the lens of the Collects in the Book of Common Prayer. And this week, we're going to be talking about the Collect for Proper 7, which hopefully you will be hearing, although you never know, because it is also Father's Day. Mm. And you know how we feel about people co-opting secular holidays for church celebrations. Look, if you want to talk about Father's Day and celebrate dads in a church on Sunday, that is fine. But the rubrics do not permit you to swap Collects. 
No, they do not. And much like Mother's Day, which we didn't really talk about this year, but I think we may have touched on it in years past. I'm all for celebrating Mother's Day. I am a mother. I have a mother. She has a mother. Pretty sure we all do. But that can be really painful for a lot of folks, right? If you have a bad relationship with your mother, if you've struggled with infertility, a a variety of reasons that might take you out of the ideal of being able to worship God. And I feel the same way about Father's Day. Right. And so by all means, uh, celebrate and pray for fathers, but be wary of simplistic sentimentalization. Very well put. Anywho, so proper seven. That's what we're talking about. I don't know what y'all are talking about. (laughs) That's what we're talking about. Shall we pray? Let's do it. Oh, Lord, make us have perpetual love and reverence for your holy name. For you never fail to help and govern those whom you have set upon the sure foundation of your loving kindness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I'll tell you, Holly, this particular collect is one that I will probably never forget, or perhaps at least not for a while. Okay. Uh, And that's because Proper 7 last year uh, fell on the Sunday following the murders at Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina. And, uh, and the reason I remember this uh, collect particularly is that I preached that Sunday, and one of the remarks I, I made in the sermon had to do with this phrase, you never fail to help and govern those whom you have set upon the sure foundation of your loving kindness, asking, well, what does that mean when nine people are killed by a hateful, racist young man in a Bible study. Right. I didn't have an answer for the question then, and I don't have an answer for the question now, but it's something that's stuck with me. You know, it's funny that you say that, Bridget, because I, um, and I've talked about this on the show, I'm certain, before, but one of my first, actually, no, my second preaching experience uh, was the Sunday after the Boston Marathon bombing, Mm. which happened to be Good Shepherd Sunday. And so for me, those two things are always linked. (laughs) Yeah. And I always think about the Boston Marathon bombing on Good Shepherd Sunday. It also gives you a real appreciation for the difficulty of being a person who preaches. Yeah. To have to kind of stand and try to help people make sense of something that you cannot make sense of. Right. So this is one of those collects again, where it's like, oh God, make us love you. (laughs) Right. Because you will help us if if we love you, so make us. And, you know, we've talked about this repeatedly on the show before. One of the strains running throughout the collects is this idea that, loving God and having faith in God, those are gifts that God gives us. They're not like things that we achieve or can do on our own. Yes. And, you know, 
and that that does reflect my own experience in certain ways. I mostly didn't believe in God in my life, and then all of a sudden I did. It wasn't because I suddenly had evidence that God existed. It's that something happened to my heart. So, I don't know. I was struck when I read this, and we've talked about this proper this college before, but I was struck this time by the word loving kindness because mm-hmm. that's such a Buddhist word in my experience. I've taken lots of meditation classes and that's it's meta in, in Buddhism, but it's translated as loving kindness and it's very much a tenet of the the Buddhist practice. It made me wonder how it ended up in this very Christian prayer. So I did a little research on that, and it's talked about that the word came from the Coverdale Bible in 1535 as an English translation of the Hebrew word chesed, C-H-E-S-E-D, which is a Hebrew version of the Greek word agape. Hmm. I was just curious how this came to land in this collect. And according to our friend Hatchet, it used to say, you never fail to help and govern those who fear and love you. Huh. He doesn't specifically talk about how it came to, to this, but it's kind of interesting now. I think it is. And so looking at Hatchet, this one comes from the Galatian Sacramentary. So the collect would have originally been in Latin. The Latin word that gets translated sometimes as loving kindness is misericordia. Mm -hmm. So I'm not 100% certain uh, if that word appears in the Latin version of this prayer. And I actually wonder if Cranmer even had access to the word loving kindness, since he would have been doing this in 1549 and the Coverdale Bible was in 1535. Uh, It seems entirely possible that that language may not have entered Cranmer's consciousness yet. Although uh, one assumes he must have been familiar with the Coverdale Bible. And his translation for what it's worth was, you never fail to help and govern those whom you bring up in your steadfast love. Well, and the Wikipedia page about this chesed word uh, suggests that another word for it could be covenant love, mm. which would be consistent with Cranmer's translation. Yeah, I get I get really tied up in words, as you know. <laughs> but it's also kind of, oh gosh, I'm going to go down a really heretical road here. Cue the music. Polly's heresy. All right. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice to have this word, at least in my perspective. I like having this word loving kindness in the middle of a Christian prayer because it reminds me that there are people all over the world who are seeking the same things. Well, yeah. And in fact, if you Google the word loving kindness, the Christian usage of the term is far from the first thing that comes up. So while the word is a native word to Christianity, the concept appears to be a universal one. Do you think that... No, I do, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Good podcast, Holly. Um... (laughs) I was going to say, there's this whole phrase here about you'd never fail to help and govern those 
whom you have set upon the sure foundation of your loving kindness. That, again, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Like, there's that kind of theology of God pulling all the strings mm-hmm. that kind of weirds me out. And, and in some ways, when I, when I really stop and think about what this is saying, this phrasing feels similar. You know what I mean? So, presumably... As we pray this prayer, we are supposed to think of ourselves as being placed upon that foundation. Mm-hmm. The prayer seems to imply that it is God who has placed us there. Where, where I don't know that I would go as far as you do on seeing you know, God pulling all the strings in this prayer is that being placed on a particular foundation, for me, doesn't necessarily imply that from that foundation we lack free will oh no it's not the foundation part that says that to me it's god never failing to govern those on the foundation yeah and it gets back into again i know i said this i feel like i just said it yesterday but it was a couple weeks ago if you believe that god does not never fails to help those that god has protected by putting on this foundation then how do you explain a very um, devout person who is killed in a car accident? Right, right. Um, Well, were they not put on God's sure foundation? Or maybe then you can go further to say, well, how do we know that that doesn't help them? Because now they're being reunited with god i don't know there's a whole lot of weirdness that you could get into with that but there's just something a little eh, to me about well it. no it's troubling for sure because you know as i was saying earlier in the podcast you know we were discussing the boston marathon bombings or the the murders at at emmanuel church you know so the simplistic answer would be well they're in heaven and that's what this prayer means right well i'm not so sure about that not not about them being in heaven i'm not making any particular implication there but as i have discussed numerous times on this podcast the afterlife is not a big part of my spiritual life Mm-hmm. And so I do not find that answer satisfying. So I don't even know what I'm saying about that other than that I don't have an answer. Um, and so I guess I sort of shrug and I'm like, oh. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> On a different topic, this week we have uh, some interesting lectionary readings, at least. We do. <laughs> Um, the gospel reading in particular is the one in which Jesus drives an unclean spirit or a demon uh, or many demons actually out of a out of a man who's been possessed and then takes the demons and the demons beg Jesus don't make us go back to quote-unquote the abyss or or hell I suppose and so he puts the demons into a herd of pigs, and then the pigs all run off the cliff and drown. There's a lot in this story. Uh, the piece of it that I find the most interesting and that preachers might want to think about, or you can preach about something else. This is not an awesome reading for Father's Day, probably. But <laughs> no. I keep thinking about the people herding the swine and who owns the herds. Mm-hmm. Right? Because it's so Jesus gets driven out here, um, and because they, 
All the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. Well, they might have been afraid of any of a number of things, but one of them would be Jesus destroying their livelihoods. Right. Because the gospel reading says, you know, the people who told about this in the first place were the the swine herds themselves Mm -hmm. who ran off and told everyone about what had happened. And then um, people came out to see and then they found the guy who had been successfully exercised of these demons and it kind of freaked them out. Yeah. And I think that is a normal approach. Right, right. Anyway, this is a this is a complicated story. It is uh, a complicated and, story. And I think everybody in the story has an interesting and understandable point of view. Right. Including the demons. <laughs> yeah. And then you have the epistle reading this this uh, week from Galatians, which is the well-known, there is no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus, if you are baptized into Christ, which is often maybe misused. Yeah. <laughs> is that a, an appropriate term? Well, maybe. I, how do you mean it being misused? I think that we as a church have a lot of work to do in order to truly say that everyone who believes in Jesus is one. Mm -hmm. There may no longer be Jew or Greek, but there are certainly Episcopalians and Catholics and Evangelicals, and there may no longer be slave or free, but there is a lot of work that the church needs to do around the history of our church and the remnants of slavery in our country. Oh, absolutely. There may no longer be male or female, but there are still patriarchal structures in our church. Mm -hmm. So it's not enough just to quote this verse and then say, well, we're all together. Yeah, okay. I, I I wasn't a hundred percent sure if that was the direction you were going, but I, I so I so agree. Because we like to use this verse and say, Oh, we're diverse. And right. uh Yeah. Uh so check out all the diversity in the House of Bishops. Yeah, check out most slates of uh bishop search processes, which I know you can't talk about because you're in a bishop search process right now. Yep, can't talk about it. (laughs) Every time there's a slate that's posted, it's uh, quite surprising to me how the faces look very similar. So with specific respect to this Christian unity concept you brought up, I I have a homework assignment for the Episcopal Church. Ooh. This one's not as profound necessarily as as racial reconciliation, which our presiding bishop is um, inspiring us to try to do, and that's not easy. But I've got an easy one. So Episcopalians, quit saying that this is a church where you don't have to check your brain at the door. Oh, yes. You have got to stop this because it is disrespectful to your fellow Christians of other traditions who have a uh, deep faith and it's insulting and you got to stop. Please. Please. <laughs> the end. The end. 
we, I, I think we can just bewail that people did that. <sighs> Why don't we let Adam Trambley take over at this point? Yeah, well, we get, get cooled down a little bit. Prayers of the People Profiles, an exclusive Collect Call report by Adam Trambley. This episode of Prayers of the People Profiles, sponsored by Citronella Votive Candles. When celebrating the saints at diocesan summer camp, you'll want a Citronella Votive Candle. Today, on a special Prayers of the People Profiles doubleheader, we're going to look at Prayers of the People Form 1, found on page 383 to 385 of the Book of Common Prayer, and Form 5, found on page 389 to 391. We'll be looking at these forms together because they have a lot in common. Their litany-like form, their relative length, and the petitions covered. Here's a quick rundown of what works and what doesn't in these forms, followed by our overall insensual evaluation. What works? Well, much about these forms works very well. First, the language in Form 1 is particularly beautiful and has a nice flow. The cadence and the balance, as well as the thoroughness, make many of the petitions here worth remembering and using in other contexts. To give two examples, for the aged and the infirm, for the widowed and orphans, and for the sick and the suffering, as well as for the poor and the oppressed, for the unemployed and the destitute, for prisoners and captives, and for all who remember and care for them. These are just really good prayers. Second, Form 5 includes this wonderful prayer. For those who do not yet believe, and for those who have lost their faith, that they may receive the light of the gospel. We need to be saying these kinds of evangelistic prayers regularly in our churches. Third, both these forms include an optional prayer for the forgiveness or the absolution and remission of our sins. This might justifiably allow a liturgy with these forms of flexibility to omit the confession. Fourth, both forms include a place where the parish's prayer list could be read, and the structure of these prayers allow those names to be read without seeming to be tacked on or out of place. Finally, the optional prayer for those who travel through outer space in Form 1 just makes people smile. What doesn't work? Both these forms are rather long, which leads to two issues. On the one hand, some congregations may need a shorter form for certain services. On the other hand, if you're gonna read this many petitions, why not just go all the way and do the great litany, right? The second problem is the final line, commending ourselves and one another and all our life to Christ our God with the response of either to thee, O Lord our God, or to you, O Lord our God. After the nice rhythm with Lord have mercy or Form 5's optional Kyrie eleison, changing one response at the end is just needlessly confusing, especially for visitors and newcomers. Instead of allowing people to just pray, this twist almost requires the congregation to read along in their prayer books so that they're ready when the final petition comes. 
Finally, Form 5 has this unfortunate tendency of adding phrases that get just a little bit too specific in its petitions. For example, instead of just praying for those in positions of public trust and then moving on, it adds that they may serve justice and promote the dignity and freedom of every person. Now, serving justice and promoting dignity are good things. We should pray for it. But what if public officials needed that week something else, like protection or discernment? Some of these petitions could have allowed people to pray more and pray more specifically for the needs of the day by saying less. If the prayers of the saints are bowls of incense, what kind of incense would these forms be? Form one is pure frankincense, beautiful, cleansing, appropriate for any occasion, and able to lead people deeper in prayer the more it is used. Form five is choke-free, non-allergenic frankincense, beautiful and useful, but with a bit of richness lost in the attempt to make it more palatable. Thank you so much, Adam, for that double-header report. Yes, that was amazing. But don't do too many of those double-headers because there are are not an infinite number of forms in of prayers of the people and we would like this series to go as long as you know as long as you can make it we love it yes it's amazing i think it that brings us to acknowledging and bewailing yeah we've already done some bewailing (laughs) we have done some bewailing yes um i'm gonna bewail some more okay i would like to bewail people who are stealing money from old people (laughs) go on (laughs) My husband and I are fairly involved, and particularly my husband, are fairly involved in the care of my Uh mother-in-law. And people are trying to scam old people non-stop. The worst. It is so terrible. And anyway, she's had multiple strokes. You know, she's in great shape for somebody who's had multiple strokes. But, you know, it's it's awful. It's awful. Um, that is super crappy, and I, I recall similar things from when my grandmother was still living alone in her home and would constantly get phone calls or people at her door Yeah, because they knew that she was there. Blah. The internet makes it even worse. I bet it does, yeah. Anything else to bewail? Oh, I could bewail ad nauseum, but that's enough. <laughs> like to acknowledge this is not on the topic of church at all but neither is stealing money from old people i guess well sometimes that is on topic for the church (laughs) awkward (laughs) (laughs) i would like to acknowledge a great book i just finished oh really what's that yeah the heart goes last by margaret atwood Mm. so i'm a big fan of uh margaret she is uh the author of the handmaid's tale and uh, the mad adam trilogy which is one of my favorites writing if you like dystopian fiction i'm sure you know of her Um, but this was her most recent book and i just finished it i really enjoyed it however along with my acknowledgement a slight bewailing in that somehow on accident i ordered the large print copy from amazon (laughs) and um 
as I was reading it, I was like, wow, it's really great to read these huge words. <laughs> I, don't, I can read in dimmer light because I don't have to squint to see. And this is really fantastic. And then I felt really bad about myself. So <laughs> I would like to acknowledge that the book is good and bewail that I'm old. Wow. Okay. Well, I, I'm just happy that you're catching up with me since two weeks ago we talked about how I only understood how to use Snapchat to read the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> That's true. And it's, that did make me laugh. <laughs> it's a good thing that we're Episcopalians, though, because I've got at least another decade until I'm old in this church. It's true. It's true. I still get invited to youth group events. And yeah. I'm like, or young adult, I mean, and I'm like, really? There's nothing about me that feels young, that's for sure. <laughs> I did get carded the other day buying beer, so that made me feel good, too. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Acknowledge that liquor barn cashier who <laughs> gave, gave me a, a nice day. <laughs> well, so I do have one thing to acknowledge. Uh, I would like to acknowledge the nuns next door who brought us their spare tomato plants. Uh, they grow a bunch of tomatoes from seed and then plant them in their garden, and they grew too many this year, and they gave them to us. And these nuns are of an orthodox branch that, you know, they're not necessarily down with the gays, but sure. they are down with being great neighbors, and uh, we have a really great relationship with them. And they gave us tomatoes, and I'm happy. That's awesome. We love nuns. We, yep, yeah, we do. And we love tomatoes, so, you know, it's a win-win. Yeah, yeah. Now I just got to keep them away from the rabbits. Rabbits. Yeah. They're so cute, but they eat all your good plants. They've got those big fangs. The worst. <laughs> well, if you would like to acknowledge or bewail something, you can hit us up on Twitter at The Collect Call, or you can email us at thecollectcall at acts8movement.org. Our parent organization is the Acts 8 Movement, which you can find on Facebook and Twitter at Acts 8 Movement, or on the web at acts8movement.org. And our theme music is Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence by Aaron DeVries, which is distributed under a Creative Commons license. And you can find more of Aaron's music at badgerland.bandcamp.com. And join us next week when we will be talking about Proper 8. Yes, see you then. Let all mortal flesh keep silence And with fear and trembling stand Ponder nothing earthly-minded For with blessing in his hand Christ our God to earth descended Our full homage to